Because our mission as a church is to introduce people to Jesus and to help them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And you've heard a lot in this service and other um, global weekend services that we're investing significantly in church planting and are committed to accomplishing the mission that God has called us to, primarily through the local church. Uh, Now, according to national surveys, even though 80% of Canadians say they believe in God, and over 70%, uh, this is a statistic I want you to remember, 70% of Canadians believe that Jesus is the way of forgiveness from sin, Less than 21% of Canadians, age 15 and up, attend worship services on on a regular basis. And that dichotomy intrigues me, as I'm sure it intrigues you. Uh, Given that most Canadians identify themselves as Christians, why do so many have a positive view of Jesus Christ and an altogether different opinion uh, of the church that he established? Why do they just see the church as unimportant? Why do they see it as unnecessary, as, as uh, have a number of these feelings about the church? And so our global staff team asked me to remind us as a church, not only why the church matters, but what our global strategy is for impacting our community, our country, and our world, and why what we're doing really matters. So why does the church matter? It's a great question. I could probably devote two sermons uh, on that particular subject. I'm just going to give a couple of major reasons of why the church matters. I believe the church matters first and foremost because I believe in Jesus Christ. And the church really matters to him. In Matthew 16, Jesus and his disciples were visiting the city of Caesarea Philippi. It was a pagan city devoted to the worship of the Greek god Pan. And while they were standing there in front of this, these great cliffs that had cracks on the face of the rock surface on which many believed the demons of hell entered planet Earth... While standing in front of these cliffs and these, these um, worship, pagan worship centers, Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, inspired by God the Father, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus says to Peter, it's upon the profession of faith that you just gave a moment ago, the belief system, the foundations of your life, and other believers that come after you, that I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, the church is Jesus' idea. He established the church and he's committed to building the church and one day he will return again to bring the church, his true spiritual children, to himself even as a groom comes to get his bride. So those who have an issue with the idea, 
with the purpose and with the mission of the church, they really have an issue with Jesus. To identify your life with the person of Jesus Christ is to join your life with the people of Christ, which is the church. For you see, the church isn't a place that you, isn't just a place that you attend. The church is us. It is people who know and love Jesus, who are passionate about living like Jesus and being on mission with Jesus. To love Jesus and yet to ignore or reject the church that he came to establish is to reject Christ and his word because the New Testament is chock full of instructions and principles and commands. We can't even carry out in life unless we're engaged in a local church community. Jesus does not give us an option. In his kingdom, there is no room for solo Christianity or private Christianity. Now, the reality is no church is perfect because the church is made up of fallible people like you and me. But if we are true followers of Christ, then we are part of Christ's universal church, first of all, and we are called not to ignore the church or to sit back and criticize the church. We're called to be engaged fully in a local church fellowship like Center Street. And I believe the church matters not because it is perfect or always relevant. I believe the church matters because I believe in Jesus and his ideals for the church. Secondly, I believe the church really matters because it aspires to reflect the character and the values and the life of Jesus. The character and values of Jesus, if you think about it, are so contrary to the thinking of our culture today. Reflect for a moment on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he taught in Matthew 5 and 7 or that we find there. Jesus said, those who are committed to following him as Lord and as King will increasingly live a life characterized by humility, by meekness, mercy, and peacemaking. They will be increasingly patient and gracious, gentle and kind. Seek to do what is good and right in the eyes of God and refuse to nurse a grudge, but be quick to make things right. They will give to the needy, they will seek justice and freedom for those who are in bondage. They will pray for their enemies and forgive those who have hurt them. They will invest the time and the talent and the money that God has given to them in things that really matter to God and to his kingdom rather than solely on their own interests and wishes and desires. Even though we do so imperfectly, it is the church in obedience to our Lord Jesus that teaches and seeks to emulate, that seeks to live out these virtues and these values that are near and dear to the heart of our Lord. And so as we surrender our lives to God, God uses us individually and together as a church to begin to change lives. He begins by changing us. And then to begin to change our relationships, our friendships, our marriages, our families. And all this begins to spill over into transforming our community, our city, and our world. 
we see this transformation taking place shortly after the birth of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, we read that believers in the early church, they sold their possessions and goods and gave to anyone who had need. They cared not only for their own, but also for their community. And verse 47 says, as a result of that, they enjoyed the favor of all the people. When you are loving and gracious and generous and kind to those in your sphere of influence, people, you're going to have the favor of people. And it says here that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You're going to have people who want to be part of such a community. And this has been the case down through history. Yes, there were periods in the history of the church, like the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Salem witch hunts, when selfish, sinful, hateful, greedy, misguided church leaders badly misrepresented the scriptures and Christ and his vision for the church. But even in the midst of these terrible injustices, God raised up people who had his heart, who were committed to his truth to bring justice and to bring truth and renewal to the church. It's true that the church was behind the terrible witch hunts, but Christ raised up Friedrich van Spree to bring an end to it in Europe and Reverend Increase Mather to bring an end to it in Salem, Massachusetts. We know that members of the church along uh, with Muslims in North Africa initiated the slave trade to the New World. But Christ raised up William Wilberforce to abolish slavery in Europe (coughs) and used Abraham Lincoln to end the practice in the United States. Even in our day, those who hurt the church through false teaching, who blemish the church through financial scandal or moral scandal, Christ continues to bring correction by raising up godly leaders um, to call these people to account, to bring correction, and to offer Christ's redemption and renewal for them, and ultimately to align with Christ's ideals for the church. Despite these dark periods, down through history, wherever Christianity was lived out authentically the way that Jesus Christ calls us to. Peace, goodwill, and justice reigned. Rodney Stark of Baylor University in his book, The Rise of Christianity, he says Christianity grew so rapidly in large part because they were such nice people. I love that phrase. Oh, man. I had someone, you know, who's never been part of Center Street. But he says, you know, I heard about Center Street, and what they said is, and what I knew about Center Street was they were a generous church. I just think that's awesome. And you know, I'd love to be known around this city. And actually, politicians have told me this as well, and others, that we are beginning to be known as a generous people. And I'd love for us also to be known as just nice people. I just think that's awesome. But anyways, he says, because they were such nice people and they were willing to sacrifice themselves out of love for each other and for their community, something that was uncommon and relatively unknown at the time. For example, during the two great plagues that swept through the Roman Empire, 165 um, AD and also 251 AD, 
each killing a third of the population. Can you imagine? During that time, people of that day would take um, relatives and whoever was infected and they would haul them out and they would leave them to die in the gutter. It was Christians who risked their lives to take them into their homes and to nurse them. Historian Will Durant says they helped widows and orphans and sick prisoners um, and, and uh, victims of natural catastrophes. In the ancient world, child sacrifice was common. Abortion was rampant. People would often abandon their unwanted babies in the forest or throw them into a nearby river. And again, it was Christians who would go out into the forest looking for these children who had been abandoned. In some cases, would even dive into the river after these children, take them home, care for them, and raise them up. Similarly, in our day, despite a virtual media blackout, Christians are helping thousands of unwed pregnant women who feel unable to raise their infants with, with support and life-giving options for their child, including adoption, through a ministry of pregnancy care centers, which are largely supported by churches. Michael Novak, he celebrates Christianity's gift of dignity to our world. He points out that both Aristotle and Plato held that most humans are by nature slavish and suitable only for slavery. They believe most humans do not have natures worthy of freedom. The Greeks believed only a small percentage of humans have true dignity. By contrast, since the coming of Christ, the church has insisted that every human being is loved by our Creator, is made in the image of God, has value and purpose, and is destined for eternal friendship with God. Consequently, churches, in obedience to Christ's great commission, not only shared this good news verbally, but also through their loving acts of kindness and deeds. And they began to send out missionaries to do elsewhere what they felt God was calling them to do in their community. And toward that end, Christianity grew rapidly. Churches were established throughout the then known world. And these churches established schools teaching children and youth and adults to read and to write. In addition to this, almost every modern college and university, including Harvard, Princeton, and Yale University, were, were originally established by the church. Jesus' compassion for the sick motivated his followers not only to pray for the sick, but to exercise the gifts that he gave to some to provide health care for the sick. And as a result, medical centers and hospitals sprang into existence all over the planet. They had virtually not existed before the church age, at least not the kind that provided quality health care. Even today, thousands of Christian physicians and dentists and health care workers, some from our own church, donate weeks months, even years of their time and talent to give medical aid in foreign lands that desperately need it. The church has always responded to the needs of the poor, doing more than any other institution in history to alleviate poverty. 
In Matthew 25, Jesus said, when you feed the hungry, when you show hospitality to strangers, when you visit the sick, when you visit those who are in prison, when you clothe the naked, you are doing it to me. And so down through time, the vast majority of food banks and inner city agencies that minister to the poor, the abused, the disadvantaged, as well as world relief agencies, all had their origin and support from the church. The reality is in the midst of all the conflict that has raged down through time and continues to rage in the world today, you will find that there is a community, not a perfect community, but there is a community where there is love, unity, and peace between people of all ages and races, ethnic origins, and walks of life, and that is Christ-centered churches. Despite its failures, and there have been many, and there will continue to be many, the Church of Jesus Christ has laid a foundation of healing and health, peace, justice, and freedom. It has taught that every person matters and has a purpose to fulfill in this life. The church has challenged people to realize that they have a God-given purpose to step out and use the talents and the resources that God has given to them to be who God made them to be and to make a difference in His name in our world. This great faith has motivated excellence in every field of endeavor, including some of the world's most profound art and music and science. It has undergirded an ethic of faithful work and an ethic of sacrificial service. And folks, that is why the church matters. It aspires to reflect the character and the values and the purpose, the peace, the justice, and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. In obedience to Christ, we pray for one another. We encourage one another. We spur one another on toward loving good deeds to make the invisible Christ visible for all to see. And that's why the church matters. And also why we as a church are committed to carrying out our mission locally, nationally, and globally, primarily through the local church. There are many agencies committed to fighting injustice and meeting the practical needs of people in poverty these days. A lot of people and agencies have jumped on the bandwagon, as it were, and that's great. However, many do not offer answers for the restlessness and emptiness within the human heart. That cry for deep-seated peace, joy, and satisfaction and fulfillment in life that only God can give in Christ and a relationship with Christ. In Matthew 16, 26, Jesus said, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul. To meet the physical needs of a person, as important as that is, and yet to neglect their soul, is like a doctor putting a Band-Aid on a wound but neglecting to treat the infection. And so even though we will pray for and we will send financial support 
through some of our partner relief agencies to respond to the immediate needs of people whose lives and whose livelihood has been devastated by a hurricane or, or by a tsunami. The lion's share of our support financially through training and otherwise will be given directly to our partner churches to distribute and to engage the people in their community. Jesus taught that there will be no peace on earth until there is peace in our hearts. And so that is why we want to see our message and our ministry and the relief and development efforts, whether locally, nationally, or globally, take place through the local church. Because as much as people need food, shelter, and clothing, they need Jesus, the bread of life. And so when we sponsor and we provide financial support for children through their local churches, when we send school supplies, when we provide clothing, when we teach people in a poor community the art of sewing or how to start a small business, we want to distribute these through the people of our partner churches who live in their community. See, the reality is most people in these communities won't remember the name of our church. They won't remember the name of the mission or the relief agency that gave them clothes or built a home for them or drilled freshwater wells for them, as wonderful as that is. We're there for a time and then we're gone. In fact, it is not important to us that they remember Center Street Church at all. When children that we sponsored and supported through a local church, when boys and girls, men and women, are set free from the sex slave industry through our prayers and financial investment, when families are blessed through the provision of food and clean water and clothing and shelter, and through all of this come to a place where they begin to recognize the love of God, the love that God has for them, and they begin to look for spiritual answers. What our hope is, is that they will begin to, begin to think about the people who demonstrate a compassion to them from their community, people who live right down the street from them, people who call themselves Christians, people who meet together in that church building, however basic it may be, who are generous, who are kind, and have a relationship with the Lord. We want to help local churches to love on their community. And folks, that's why we're planting and supporting and doing relief and development primarily through more than 100 partner churches right now in Canada, Moldova, Bolivia, Ukraine, Cambodia, Nepal, India, South Africa, Mexico, two other nations in the Middle East that we really can't name for security reasons. Churches that are aligned with our vision and mission because we believe that strong, mission-focused churches not only introduce people to our Lord, but also help to build strong communities. My friends, this is a very short encapsulation of the vision that God has given to us for impacting uh, our city, our nation, and our world. We know that some of you are passionate about places and about people groups and ministries that you wish that we would adopt as well. Every year we have hundreds of individuals and agencies approach us with wonderful plans for our church. 
wonderful plans, wanting us to support them financially, wanting time in our services or in our community groups to promote their ministries and friends. We just can't do that for everyone. You know, over the past 15 years, 15 to 20 years, 25 years, I'm, I'm not keeping track anymore. Um, I've been to a number of third world countries. I've seen the good, bad, and the ugly. I've seen some of the worst poverty there is. I've seen the plight of the homeless. And when I left each country, I said to myself or whoever was with me, I said, we've got to do something. We've got to help in some way. And then we go to another country and we'd see the same thing. And again, as we left, we would say, we, we've got to do something. And folks, you do that about 10 or 15 times and pretty soon you realize that the faces may be different, but the needs are the same. There are needs everywhere. And your heart breaks because you realize you can't meet them all. And so we as church leaders, we go to the Lord regularly and we ask the Lord, Lord, where is it that you want us to make a difference? We know that you are calling other churches to make a difference elsewhere, but where is it that you want us to make a difference in your name? And when we hear from him, we follow and we trust him to provide the leaders and the funds that are needed to do what he's called us to do. Presently, for every dollar that you give, 18.5% of that dollar goes to our global ministry fund. By 2021, our goal is to increase that to 20%, to double tithe toward global ministry. You should know that the vast majority of churches in North America give less than 10% to global ministry efforts. And that isn't meant to be a judgment. I'm just trying to help us to understand the commitment we have to the rest of our world and to our nation. But even with us giving over $2 million to global missions, we still can't do everything. And so if God calls you to support or to serve in some ministry that God has not called us as a church to support uh, at this time, then go for it. We bless you and we encourage you to do what he calls you to do. We will do all we can to encourage you and pray for you and support you. But having said that, please don't be upset with us as a church or suggest that we don't care, that our priorities are all out of whack or that we're not mission-minded if we're not able to support you or the cause that you think we should or at least to the degree that you think we should. If we were to provide equal financial support and promote the callings and causes of every individual or mission agency that comes our way, we, would be doing, we wouldn't be doing anything significant for anyone. In fact, I talked a number of years ago, talked to a pastor of a very mission-oriented church who just shared with me the total frustration he was experiencing because they were literally supporting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of missionaries and missionary causes and were giving a pittance to each of them. Hebrews 10, verse 24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord approaching. You know, when people say that they love Jesus, but they aren't into the church, or you might hear other people say they're not into organized religion, what that tells me is, is what they really want is a private religion. A spirituality 
that doesn't include other people or call them to be or to do anything. Now, it is true that genuine spirituality begins inside of you. It begins in the heart. It, doesn't, it isn't just what you do. It is who you are and what your relationship is um, uh, with the Lord. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But if you really connect with the living Lord and begin to know the heart of love and grace that he has, not only for you, but also for others, you won't be content to keep this to yourself or to close the blinds of your life to the festering needs of other people around you or to sit on your hands and leave it to someone else to deal with. No, what God's doing in your life, if it's real, it's going to affect your heart. It's going to affect your priorities and begin to spill over into all of your relationships. The Apostle James put it this way, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James says that a private faith is essentially a dead faith because you cannot be close to God and experience His love and grace without wanting to join others of like mind to show God's love and grace to others in practical ways. And so as soon as you step out and you offer your time to serve, you have moved from the arena of private spirituality to the world of faith in action. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, the Apostle Paul describes the church as a body, the body of Christ. And he says this to the church. This is what he says to every one of us who are part of the church through faith in Christ. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. We're all needed to make the church what Christ intended it to be. When we don't do our part, something that Christ wants done doesn't get done. And so as I wrap up, I, I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider the role that God would have you play in helping us fulfill the mission that God's given to us. You see, there is power in a shared vision. There is power in all of us joining hands and pulling in the same direction rather than all of us going off in a hundred different directions. Over the years, as we've all joined hands financially, for example, we provided a fleet of boats for an entire village that had its entire fishing industry wiped out because of tsunami. We raised over $100,000 to, to accomplish that. And even though I know there's people here that could write a check for $100,000 without blinking, the bottom line is that most of us can't. But when we all pull together and we all contribute together, we can have that kind of an impact and impact an entire village whose livelihood had been wiped out. We've provided the majority of the funds for a church building in Nepal, close to a million dollars that not only serves as a convalescence center for people who, are, who have had surgery in a hospital nearby, but through, <coughs> excuse me, but through this ministry, as these people have been convalescing in this church building and have met many of the people from this church, 
They've experienced the love of God. They've heard the message of grace and goodness of Jesus Christ. They've come to faith in Christ. They've gone out and in time have planted churches. This little church that we're supporting has planted over a dozen churches now in Nepal. And as a result of our financial contribution, a church in South Africa, you met the pastors just a couple of months ago. They were here was able to recently complete their church building, a church that is testimony to how the love and the truth of Christ can bring reconciliation between people segregated by years of racial discrimination. Those are just a few examples of how God has led us to advance His mission and to make a difference together as a church where we've all pulled together. And so I invite you, in fact, I challenge you to join us in making a united impact, not only in, in, in ministering to this city, which is a big deal. People need the Lord in this city. But also across our nation and around the world. As I said, we're committed to doing elsewhere what God has called us to do here. And so my challenge to you is whatever you feel that God is calling you to do, perhaps elsewhere in the world, begin by doing it here first. I want to invite and challenge you to step out and get your feet wet by serving right here in our church and in our city. Step out and serve our children. Step out and serve our youth, our young adults, our adult community groups, or those with special needs. People need the Lord and they need to experience the love of the Lord here in Calgary as much as anywhere else in the world. Don't walk by them. Engage with them. Step out and let God use you to demonstrate God's love to someone right here. Let it begin here. Step out and help us to be ready for company in our weekend services. Every weekend we have hundreds of people who come to one of our five campuses seeking answers for the whole that is in their soul. Help us to make them feel at home, to find their way around, to take care and to teach their children so they're free to sit in services like this and receive instruction and direction from the Word of God. Step out and use the time and abilities that God has given you to help us clean and maintain the equipment and facilities that he has blessed us with. Step out and serve in our compassionate ministries, our ministry to new Canadians. The opportunities, folks, are endless. My point is, go to God and ask him, Lord, I'm part of your church. Where is it that you want to use me and then step out and follow his lead. Furthermore, I want to invite you and I want to challenge you to, to give generously. I know this subject can spoil an entire sermon. It's going to spoil people's entire day or if not week. But folks, we need to realize that the church and the work of God often moves along like a mighty tortoise instead of a mighty army that Christ envisioned it to be because we simply refuse to be generous with the abundance that God has given to us. 
Our disobedience in this area of giving hurts the cause of Christ as much as our disobedience in failing to serve sacrificially. Now, I want you to know, in some ways, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because I am so incredibly grateful for your faithful and your sacrificial giving, not only this past year, but over the years. I am so blessed to be a pastor of a church where so many people are all in, a church that serves and gives sacrificially. The incredible work of God that we've seen over the years, the more than 7,000 people that we know of who have come to faith in Jesus Christ over the last 25 to 30 years through our local church ministry, the thousands more through our partner churches, the difference we've made in this community and in this city is not only the result of our faithful prayers and our daily obedience to Jesus Christ, but it's also because many of us have released our white-knuckle grip on our money and our possessions. So friends, for those who are serving and giving sacrificially, I want to thank you for giving to the Lord. Only eternity will reveal the difference your faithfulness has made in the lives of people. And for those of you who are new, for those of you who, have, who haven't yet really stepped out and joined us in our mission, I want to give you the same challenge that I've been giving to our church for the last 35 plus years, and that is be all in for Christ. You will never regret living all out for Him. Never. You know, in Psalm 39, 4, the psalmist says this, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. And the psalmist says, give me a reality check every once in a while, God. Remind me that one day my days are going to run out. Remind me that one day I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to have to give an account of what I decided about Jesus. And I'm going to have to give an account with what I did with the gifts of time and the resources that God has given to me. And Lord, I just need you to challenge me to make the necessary changes that I need to make in light of eternity. And folks, that's why I'm so glad that Jesus established the church. In fact, I'm convinced it's one of the main reasons he did. To remind me and us regularly from the scriptures and in worship services like this, to ask myself, what am I really staking my life on? What am I doing that's really going to matter in the end? Not just to me, but to God. How consistently am I living out what I say is most important in life? What am I teaching my children is most important to me through the way I'm living my life, in the way that I'm loving my spouse? and the way that I'm investing my time and my talents and how I'm spending my money. What am I teaching my kids and others around me? I'm so glad the Church of Jesus Christ shows me how I can enter into a real friendship with God. How I can be set free from the hurts and the regrets of the past. How I can live in victory in the present and how I can know true peace regardless of what I may face in the future. 
I'm so glad the church of Jesus Christ reminds me regularly to forgive, to treasure my spouse, my family, and close friends, to be gracious with others, and to love them the way that Christ loves me. And perhaps more than anything, I'm so glad the church reminds me regularly of Jesus' words. What does it profit a person if you gain the whole world and yet you lose your soul? Friends, that's why the church that Christ is building matters and why he invites us to be part of it for his glory, for our growth, and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please stand? In a moment, Pastor Wayne's going to come out and close the service, but before then, I just want us to open our hands to the Lord again and just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about my attitude toward the church? What are you saying to me about my engagement and involvement in the church? And then, Lord, what is it that you want me to do about it? Let's take a moment right now and just allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. Join me as I pray a blessing over you. Father, today, we have heard through Pastor Henry and your word of your desire and plan for the, for the purpose of the local church. Father, help us all to be in. Lord, locally, nationally, and internationally. And Father, as my friends depart from here today, I pray, God, that the spirit of Jesus Christ would be upon them, that you would move in their hearts, that you would provide, protect, and guide as they leave this place today. May, Father, that everything they do bring honor and glory to you. May they make a difference in this world because of the difference you have made in their lives. For we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.